0: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, I'm Jenny Kaplan, co-founder and CEO of Wonder Media Network. Welcome back to Women Belong in the House. One of the major questions we've asked on this show is how Congress would be different if it looked more like the people it represents. We've established that having more people from different backgrounds in all sorts of capacities means that broader perspectives are brought into the rooms where decisions are being made. Issues that previously went unaddressed in the halls of the Capitol are brought to the forefront. It leads to better governing. Today, we're going to talk about how far we've come and how far we have left to go to expand our representation. It's important to celebrate progress, and in the U.S. we are definitely making strides. Congress is more diverse than ever. There are record numbers of women and of representatives who are racial or ethnic minorities in the 116th session. According to Pew Research Center, 22% of lawmakers in the House and Senate are not white. Still, there's a lot of room for growth. Our governing bodies are disproportionately white compared to the general population. According to Pew, non-Hispanic white people make up 78% of voting members of Congress and 61% of the general US population. And it's not just about race. There are other facets of diversity, like age, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, gender identity, and career background that each representative brings to the table. Let's start with what's going well. Progress has taken longer than it should have, But in the 116th Congress, we've clocked a lot of firsts.
1: Two Muslim-American women
2: making history as the first to serve in Congress.
1: Democrat Rashida Tlaib is a Southwest Detroiter. Democratic Socialist Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. At 29, she becomes the youngest woman ever elected to Congress.
0: U.S. House District 1, it looks like Iowans will send their first woman to the U.S. House of Representatives, Abby Finkenauer.
1: Folks, my next guest made history this year as one of the first two Muslim-American women elected to Congress. Please welcome Congresswoman Ilhan Omar.
2: Last but not least on this abbreviated list of milestones, Deb Holland and Sharice Davids became the first ever Native American women in Congress.
0: Democrat Sharice Davids from Kansas and Deb Holland of New Mexico earned their place in history, becoming
3: the first Native American women in Congress.
2: Representatives Deb Holland and Sharice Davids are a perfect example of new voices in Congress that fill a previous void. Here's Ashanti Golar, president of Emerge America and host of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast, on why that's so crucial. When we look at Congresswoman Deb
0: Holland and Congresswoman Sharice Davids, The only two Indigenous women currently serving in Congress, the first Indigenous women elected to Congress, they are finally that voice that the Indigenous community never had. So we have to think about the fact that there have been people sitting on the Indian Affairs Committee for all of these years since the foundation of Congress, and there's never been Indigenous women who are from those communities talking about those issues
2: I had the privilege of speaking with Deb Holland when she was running in 2018. If you haven't heard that episode from season one, I highly recommend you go check it out. Deb made history the moment she was elected. I spoke with her again to find out what it's been like to serve. As you heard two weeks ago, Deb's highlight from being in Congress so far had to do with being able to represent people who previously couldn't find someone like her in office. Here's that story again.
1: So I've been in Congress now a year and you know four months, mu- almost four months, and the fact that you know my my slogan for my campaign was Congress has never heard a voice like mine. I get to Congress. I'm one of the first two Native American women ever elected to Congress. Uh, you know something sticks with me. I was rushing out to a meeting one afternoon in my office in D.C. and. There was a tribal chairman who came by my office, a very tall man with a big thick braid behind him. Uh, I had a suit on and he just happened to come by. Uh, He found my office and wanted to come in and just see my office, right? Say he was in my office and he signed my register. I just happened to be leaving out the door so I was able to see him in the front office before I left to go to my meeting. And I introduced myself he gave me a hug and he just cried on my shoulder, you know, for several minutes. It means so much to people, to Native folks still, to know that someone is there who understands Indian Country or can identify with them or they can identify with me, right? I mean, that still to me is is important and uh, it makes me happy that that I can be that person for them.
2: Being one of the firsts means that Deb represents more than New Mexico's first district.
1: I think that as a representative, we all represent different constituencies, right? I represent District 1 in New Mexico. It has Albuquerque, one of the largest cities. I have farmers. I have um, Hispanic farmers in the South Valley. I have Spanish land grants to the uh, east of Albuquerque. I have Three Indian tribes in my district. I have a lot of different people, and you know, we all go to Congress to represent whoever our constituents are. However, I find myself also representing all of Indian country, right? There are tribal leaders from all over the country who stop in to see me uh, because perhaps they feel comfortable in my office. When they come in and they see, you know my pueblo indian pottery or they see you know a, a stick of sage sitting there or they they can identify with things that um that they're familiar with they i mean it it helps when they come in and they don't have to start by explaining to me what tribal sovereignty is i know what it is i know what the trust responsibility means and so i give them the floor and they can just launch into their issues and it's it's almost like it's saving a lot of time <laughs> too right you know i'm proud of course to to have that opportunity and to have that knowledge and experience that i can impart not only on uh you know folks who come to visit me in my office but also on my colleagues maybe who
2: who don't have indian tribes in their own districts even before she was officially on the clock. Deb made sure she spread the word that working on issues related to the Native American community was a priority for her.
1: When I first got elected, actually before I got sworn in, um, the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights had put out their Broken Promises report, and uh, that highlighted five areas where the U.S. government essentially um, drastically underfunded and neglected Indian country. And, um, and so I wrote an op-ed on that, um, on that report and I sent it to all my freshman colleagues and let them know I wanted you to read this and I want you to know that I'm going to be working on this. And, um, I got a lot of responses back. That's great. You lead the way. We're behind you. We'll support you. So, um, you know, early on, I sort of, Let folks know that uh, I want to be, you know, I want to work on these issues on these native issues where tribes have been neglected, and so people know that and and um, they support me or they they come to me if they need some help with something.
2: Those communications efforts bore fruit. Colleagues have reached out to Deb for assistance.
1: It works both ways. I can reach out and find folks, but we can also find, you know, they can find me and the issues I. Uh, And working on, we've uh, missing and murdered indigenous women, for example, have been, that's been a priority of mine, and we've worked hard to move some bills forward. Uh, One of my colleagues was having a hearing on that topic, and so his staff called my office. uh, Please give us your top talking points so that we can manage some questions that would be effective for this hearing.
2: Representing a group well beyond her district can add pressure to an already quite intensive job.
1: I mean, look,
2: when National Congress of
1: American Indians has their yearly uh, conference in D.C., you know, I have, I I pretty much like move everything out of my office and just put a bunch of chairs in there. Uh, And we have meetings like every 15 minutes because that's when everyone, you know, tribes are in town and where we just want to make sure that we can meet with as many people as possible. So it does, it presents challenges like that, right? Like there's not enough hours in the day to meet with everyone. But as far as, you know, like representing this constituency who hasn't always had representation, we're raising issues that have needed to be raised uh, for decades, right? Um, And this this period of time with the um coronavirus uh when we think about you know there's indian tribes here in new mexico uh indian communities who don't have running water and we're telling people to wash their hands all the time right if you're having to haul water in your truck from you know 20 miles away and bring it to your home you know how do you make things like that happen so there's a lot of issues that we've needed to remedy for a very long time, and that this virus has sort of exposed to the world, and so I hope that um, we can remedy some of those issues
2: now. It's also helpful not to have to do things alone. Deb wasn't the only Native woman elected last cycle. She was joined by Charisse Davids, who represents the third district of Kansas.
1: You know, from the time I was a young child, I've so I've a lot of times in my life I've been the only native in the room, kind of a thing. And so I felt immediately felt like as soon as Sharice Davids and I were were sworn in together, you know, I it was like, This is great. I'm not the only native in the room, right? So now there's four of us. By by electing two women We sort of balanced out the Native representation in Congress. There's two men, two women, two Democrats, two Republicans.
2: Everyone is a unique combination of many facets of identity. Sharing some of those facets with others around you is powerful, in terms of feeling comfortable and in terms of getting things done. Here's Ashanti Golar again.
0: When the freshman women were at their congressional orientation, And I loved going through the Twitter feed because here's all of these women whose races, you know, we watched that we talked about last season on Women Belong in the House that were finally elected to Congress and they have found each other. And seeing those photos, it meant a lot to me because I knew that they would not be alone, that they had each other. And a photo that really sticks out in my mind is it was. Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, Johanna Hayes, and Lucy McBath, they were in the back of a taxi or an Uber, and they talked about how they're going to have each other's backs, and how they were just so glad that they were on the journey together. And I just felt so happy for all of them that they didn't have to navigate this tough process alone. I mean, when we think about starting a job, you know, the first thing you're like is, oh my gosh, I just need to know where the restrooms are. But it's not only knowing where the restrooms are, but how do I set up my office, how do I deal with constituent services, how do I introduce a bill to the floor, prepping for your first floor speech, setting up a district office. There's just so many things and for them to be able to have that where they can just talk to each other and help each other out. I think that's truly amazing that they don't have to be the only ones. I'm glad that Deb and Sharice were elected at the same time so that they have each other. And there was this photo of Congresswoman Davids watching Congresswoman Holland deliver her first floor speech, but then also with Congresswoman Holland presiding over the house. And that was the first time an indigenous woman had sat in the speaker's chair and she was beaming with pride.
2: That moment was a huge milestone in our history and will be iconic for generations to come.
0: These images are just going to be important for history and also young girls who are wondering if they can do it. So to know that not only can they do it, but there's going to be other women that they're going to be able to do it with. So making that process a lot less lonely.
2: The progress is very exciting but that doesn't mean that being part of the changing demographics of Congress has been easy. After the break, we're going to talk about the challenges and room for improvement. This episode of Women Belong in the House is brought to you by Sakara. It can be quite a challenge, especially now, to eat fresh, delicious meals. Sakara makes that easier. Sakara is a nutrition company that believes wellness begins with what you eat. From hearty salads and nutrient-dense granolas to savory flatbreads and seasonal fruit parfaits, their ever-changing menu of creative, chef-crafted meals make clean eating delicious. In addition to their delicious meals, Sakara also offers daily essentials like supplements and herbal teas to complete your wellness routine and support overall health and vitality. To boost immunity, try their best-selling daily probiotic blend or detox water drops with pure chlorophyll. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their order if they go to sakara.com slash house or enter code house at checkout. That's sacara slash house to get 20% off your order. Sakara.com slash house. Progress is being made. Still, it's not easy for representatives who look different or come from different backgrounds than have typically been the norm in the house here's ashanti again
0: we have to realize that for all of us who are involved in politics we are playing in a system that never anticipated our political participation politics was built for straight white land-owning men period that's who this was always built around So when you see women entering a space, when you see women of color entering a space, that means that they have disrupted this system. That bothers people. When they are very vocal about their views and they do not back down, that shows that they are disrupting the system even more. And that bothers a lot of people, particularly people who already feel that this country is no longer for them.
2: Our nation's historical and current problems when it comes to sexism, racism, and intolerance don't disappear in the halls of the Capitol. That shows in media coverage of Congress. Here's Amanda Hunter, the Director of Research and Communications for the Barbara Lee Family Foundation. For over 20 years, the foundation has done nonpartisan research on the obstacles and opportunities women face when seeking office.
3: We saw some of the most diverse candidates running in the 2018 election. And it makes sense that a number of them were successful and were elected to Congress. And what we saw and continue to see in our research is that voters are fed up with the status quo. They see a woman as a symbol of change. And voters are also very excited about women of color candidates, particularly women who were active in their communities and were community leaders. Now we have elected a number of women of color to Congress and all of the women that were elected to Congress are arguably qualified regardless of the criticism they may face. And yet we've still seen probably some of the worst gendered criticism and stereotypes applied to the women of color in Congress in a way that we definitely wouldn't see with white men in Congress. So we know from our research that women of color face additional barriers, racial barriers, layered over gender barriers. And we've seen some of that play out, unfortunately, in some of the criticism
2: that we've seen. That's been particularly apparent with the so-called squad. The squad is made up of representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Pressley, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar. I think that in in our
3: current Congress, we've still seen women held to a different and higher standard. And we know from our research that women are judged on their appearance, their clothing, their tone of voice, and their overall presentation. We've seen members of the squad have all of those things criticized, sometimes viciously, in a way that we haven't with men. And as much excitement and enthusiasm there is for the women in congress who make up the squad there is the fact that these are all individual accomplished women who are elected to congress who don't all vote the same they don't have the same opinions they don't have the same backgrounds and often they're grouped together and painted with the same brush in a way that i
2: don't know men would be the Squad has gotten a lot of media attention, both good and bad.
1: They are
0: four first-term Democratic congresswomen, better known as the Squad. We begin tonight with members of the, quote, Squad ramping up their attacks on anyone and everyone who dares to disagree with their extreme, radical socialist ideas.
2: Sick and tired
3: of many people in this country, forget these four, they represent uh, a dark underbelly in this country of people who are not respecting our troops.
0: These four congresswomen detest America as it exists, as it is currently
1: constructed. At a rally this week, the president stood silent for a full 13 seconds as the crowd chanted, send her back, a reference to Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, an immigrant from Somalia. These four women are so connected and so on the same page about what they want to do. despite the occupant of the White House attempts to marginalize us and to silence us, please know that we are more than four people. Our squad is big. Our squad includes any person committed to building a more equitable and just world. Can I be in the squad? (laughs) Teach me the handshake, give me the code ring. Where's the clubhouse? I'll bring a box of Franzia.
2: Once again, we are making progress. At least now, sexist news coverage is often received with criticism and pushback. Here's Amanda again. What's really changed over the past several
3: years is the conversation. In the wake of the 2017 Women's March and the Me Too movement and then seeing a record number of women elected to Congress in 2018, women are calling out sexism in real time and they're standing up for themselves and they're standing up for each other. So having so many women in Congress has allowed women to stand up for each other when one of their colleagues faces a sexist attack. And it's also allowed women in Congress to stand up for their colleagues on the presidential campaign trail, for example, if they faced a sexist attack. And we've even seen regular citizens on social media calling out that sexism. There seems to be more of an awareness now. And we've also seen a lot more women covering politics and political races and in positions of leadership at media organizations. And that all helps change the conversation. Still, all you have to do is go on the internet and open a news site and you'll probably still find a pretty biased article about a woman in Congress somewhere.
2: And with the power of more diverse women in office together, the Squad and others are using their large followings and media attention to help spread the word about issues that are important to them. Here's Ashanti Golar again.
0: What I do admire so much about the squad is how they do stick together. And even with them having the name the squad, they say that everyone is a part of the squad. They don't use it in a clickish way. We sometimes kind of internally joke that like we're more like the Spice Girls. That's what Ayana likes to say than the squad because we're not um, we're not clones, right? We're sisters. We're not clones, and so we're independent and we talk to each other, but we also lean on each other a lot. When they got that name, they actually used it to their advantage to promote even more the things that they were caring about. And that's how you do it. That's how you know that someone is really serving for the right reasons when they're getting all of this personal attention, but they don't use it to highlight themselves. They use it to highlight the work that they're doing. They use it to highlight what is going on in the country. Congresswoman Acacia Cortez is very great at using Instagram TV to talk about the things that are going on in Congress while she's doing her laundry because members of Congress still have to do their laundry to show people that they are very human. Congresswoman Presley walked us through her battle with alopecia and losing her hair. And for someone who was just known for her Senegalese twists which is the same hairstyle I wear my hair in to go to not having your hair. She used it to bring awareness. So it's not only about what they do in Congress. It's about what they do outside of Congress too with their platform. And knowing that it is very difficult for black, brown, indigenous women to have this sort of platform. And even with all of the hate and anti-Muslim sentiment, the anti-blackness that they face, they still continue to speak out. And I feel that is really important. And that is definitely having a strong influence and letting people know that we do need more representation in our government and it's encouraging more women to want to run for Congress.
2: That encouragement is vital for different kinds of people to run. Running for office is incredibly difficult. And if people don't see people like them who have made it, it's hard to imagine that they could be the first. I asked Representative Deb Holland what areas she sees most in need of improvement when it comes to the makeup of the House.
1: Of course, we could use more women. Our country is 50 percent women or 51 percent or whatever it is. There's only there's a little over 23 percent women in in Congress. So we need more women to be more representative. We some of my colleagues and I, we joked after we had won uh, because sometimes you'll hear that, you know, there's more millionaires per, you know, whatever in the Congress. Right. There's a lot of millionaires in Congress. Well, a lot of us didn't even have savings accounts when we ran for Congress. And we got into Congress, and so we, sometimes we joke about, oh, we've just lowered the, you know, the yearly (laughs) salaries or whatever, the the net worth of, you know, uh, Congress because we came from working class backgrounds or, you know, we were single moms or we, you know, it's, it's, I feel like in that respect too, that we, we represent
2: more. According to an analysis by PolitiFact, the percentage of millionaires in Congress is significantly higher than in the general adult population. Nearly half of Congress is made up of people worth at least a million dollars, while the number of millionaires in the general adult population is between 5 and 12 percent.
1: I think there needs to be more everyday people who know what it's like to struggle. When I'm in a hearing and we're discussing SNAP benefits, and me having been on SNAP with my daughter and uh, knowing what that was like to, uh, you know, when I first applied to be denied emergency SNAP benefits and uh, you know cry in the in the worker's office because I knew that I couldn't go to the grocery store as soon as I left that office, it's um I know what that's like for people. So we need more folks who know what it's like for more people but i will say also that there are so many uh who i have essentially deemed my mentors a lot of folks uh people in congress right now who were you know who were me you know 10 years ago or 15 years ago and um and so uh, i'm i'm grateful to have Uh, mentors there who also have the experience to get things done, uh, because that's also important.
2: It's also important to note, once again, that there's huge room for improvement on the Republican side of the aisle. I asked Ashanti Golar about what separates the two parties on this front. At the end of the day,
0: it really comes down to investment. I get this question all the time, Just who is doing the work to invest in getting women, particularly Black, Brown, Indigenous women of color in office. Emerge, we operate outside the Democratic National Committee because parties can only do so much. And we've been around since 2005. We're celebrating our 15-year anniversary. And this is a big focus for us. It's all about making sure that you're living your values when it comes to representation and especially equity and justice and the policies that you want to see. So it actually has to start even before people are running. You have to be intentional about the recruitment that you're doing.
2: That intentionality isn't really there on the Republican side of things.
0: There isn't any real investment in just women and women of color in their efforts. You do have several Republican groups that have emerged that are focused on getting Republican women in office. But then again, you do have to work with your party in order to achieve that. And I'm very lucky that Emerge has a great relationship with the DNC in order to say, hey. Here's some great women that we trained to run for office. These match up to districts that we're looking to flip. Why don't you call and talk to them? So there has to be a real serious effort around making these changes. It's just not going to happen overnight. And until the Republican Party becomes serious about making those investments, they're not going to see those changes. Their first Black woman in Congress was Mia Love, She's no longer in Congress. She didn't win her reelection, but it took them longer as Republicans to have a Black woman in Congress than it did the Democratic Party. So it's really how are you lifting up those stars very early on and pushing them forward to some of these top elected official positions?
2: Better representation doesn't work as a one-party endeavor because it still leaves many points of view unaccounted for. That's always a problem, but particularly in times of turmoil. The members of the 116th Congress know something about coming together during unusual and historic events. From a government shutdown to impeachment to COVID-19, this session has been trying, to say the least. Next time on Women Belong in the House, we're going to talk about what it's been like to serve during two years of insanity. We're always trying to make sure that we're featuring a wide variety of voices on this show, and we've actively been trying to find Republican women in the House who are willing to speak about their experiences. If you happen to know someone who might be willing to talk, please email me at jenny@wondermedianetwork.com. Stay safe and well, and thank you for listening. Women Belong in the House is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and executive produced by me, Jenny Kaplan. Special thanks to Louisa Garbowit and Edie Allard. Original theme music by Miles Moran. To stay up to date with what's going on at WMN, follow us on Instagram at WMN.media and Twitter at WMNmedia. You can also reach me directly on Twitter at Jenny M. Kaplan. I'd love to hear from you. Talk to you next week. Before you go, I want to tell you about another show I think you might like. Want to know Yuval Levin's case against socialism or Nathan Robinson's case for it? Or the moral philosophy of NBC's The Good Place? Or how Whole Foods, yoga, and NPR became the hallmark of the elite? Then you should listen to The Ezra Klein Show podcast from Vox about big ideas and where they come from. Every week, Ezra hosts in-depth conversations that let you peer inside the minds of the most interesting people of our time. Search for a conversation that interests you on The Ezra Klein Show. And subscribe to The Ezra Klein Show for free right now in your favorite podcast app to get new episodes automatically from Vox and the Vox Media Podcast Network.